Hey everybody, it's good to see you all tonight. Uh, I hope you all had a, a great Labor Day. Uh, who all stayed in town for Labor Day? Who all left for Labor Day? I stayed here. I cleaned out my garage. It's an amazing amount of work for the end. You're just like, it's a clean garage. <laughs> like, it was kind of depressing, but I don't know, it was good to get it done. Um, well, it's great to see you all here tonight. Uh, my name is Jonathan. I'm the campus minister here with Reformed University Fellowship. Um, so, yeah, it's great to see you all. If you're curious about what you're here for or what, you know, if this is your first time and you're wondering what this is, um, feel free to talk to me. Or there seems to be an inordinate number of us wearing this shirt. They should have some idea what's going on. So I'm just going to put them on the spot. So if you see someone wearing this shirt or any other RUF shirt, ask them, what have I stumbled into? Um, so, yeah, welcome back to week three. So we are a Christian ministry, uh, and we want to make a big campus feel small, have fun together. We had an awesome pool party a couple nights ago. We um, do, like, boys' nights, and that sounds weird. We do, like, <laughs> guys' hangout nights and girls' hangout nights and trips to White Sand. So we want to have fun, but we also want to ask questions about faith and spirituality. Does it make sense to be a person of faith, uh, in a, particularly of the Christian faith, in college in the 21st century. So um, I like to ask that question. I like to encourage others to ask that question. And so uh, that's what we're here for. Again, I'm going to plug real quick uh, fall conference. It's so much fun. Like you really have no reason not to go. Like if money's an issue, we'll take care of it. If you think you're going to be bored, you're wrong. If you're like, <laughs> faith has nothing to be, be true of me, you're wrong. I'll tell you why, but not here. Um, so please sign up. It's a ton of fun. I think you'll really, really enjoy it. Uh, if money is an issue, please talk to me. We have people who love RUF and love you and would love for you to come. So talk to me. The deadline for signing up is September 10th. So that's in a week. So I'm going to be hounding all of you. I'm going to find your numbers somehow and, uh, and hound you. Second thing, if you um, are, uh, are a person of faith and are saying like, hey, I'm in Crucis, I'm new here, and I'm looking for a church or a, a place where I can uh, go to worship on Sunday, I'd love to invite you to the church that a lot of us go to, that I go to, University Presbyterian. Uh, there's an announcement on the back of your bulletin for when we meet and where we meet. Um, it's different from here in some ways, but also similar. Um, so I'd love to invite you and have you come. They love college students. Um, they love to have students in their houses for meals. And um, So uh, I encourage you to take advantage of that if you would. Uh, last thing, if I get really boring in the next 20 minutes, I encourage you to spend just two seconds reading the little blurb on the, on the side of your bulletin about music. Sometimes we sing things like tonight, we sing things that have these and thous and, th and thys, um, and it can be like, why are we doing that? Uh, that feels weird and different. Um, so I encourage you to take a minute and um, read that, and then if it's confusing to still, talk to me. Uh, I love conversation about all these questions. So, um, yeah, join with me. So, um, if you're new here, uh, one of the things we do at Large Group is we open up the Bible and we look at it. And so we're going to do that now um, without much ado. We've been talking through the book of John, and we've been asking the question of how does Jesus, the person and the work of Jesus, have any relevance to our lives today? And so tonight we're going to look at another example. And uh, I'll start us this way. If you hang out with RUF long enough, uh, you'll probably hear me or someone say that RUF seeks to be a place that welcomes you for where you are, but doesn't leave you there. Welcomes you where you are, but doesn't leave you there. 
And what we mean by that is we want to be a community of grace, and I'll talk about that in a minute, a community of grace which extends love and acceptance and charity and, uh, to everyone who comes through these doors. That when you come in, you can say, this is who I am, and that we want to be a community that says, great, join us. We're glad you're here. Uh, if that's in depression or anxiety or family issue or sadness or pain, or if you're like, I don't know what Christianity is about and I don't think I buy it. Great, you're glad you're here. Or if you have questions about faith at all, or maybe say you're a Christian, you're like, yeah, I know where I stand on this and I want to grow in my faith. We want RUF to be a place that welcomes you for where you are but doesn't leave you there. And we say we're not leaving you there, which means that our lives are not just static or changeless, that we're not just like, hey, we're glad you're the way you are. I hope you never change. <laughs> no, we want to change as people. We want to become a fuller, better version of who we were created to be. That as a community, we grow and mature and change into more holy, better versions of that. So accept you for where you are, but not leave you there. Now, <laughs> I wish I could say that RUF came up with that idea. We did not. The person who came up with that is Jesus Christ. He's the one who does that, accept a person for where they are, but not leave them there. He does that better than any other person in the entire world. I don't know of any person who he, he does that any better than, to, than what we're going to look at tonight. Um, I don't know of anyone like Jesus who literally receives anyone, anyone into his life, regardless of where they are, depressed, immoral, self-righteous, arrogant, diseased, whatever, and then they then come away not changed by him. Another way of putting that is that no one ever encounters Jesus without being simultaneously loved and challenged. And I think the same is true today, that you and I, we can't have an honest look at who Jesus is without being struck by his incredible love and acceptance on the one hand and his challenge to us to grow. And so tonight we're going to look at one of the best examples of that that I can think of in the whole Bible where Jesus meets someone who is totally different from him, in every way different from him, and how he meets her exactly where she is and yet pushes her to be a better person. And so we're going to look at that in two points tonight. Two points. First, the grace of Jesus, and second, the model of Jesus. The grace of Jesus and the model of Jesus. So uh, if you have your bulletin or a Bible, look with me at, at, the, uh, at the text. I'm going to read this text. It's kind of long, um, and then uh, we'll make some comments on it. Okay, so this is, uh, this is God's word. And, uh, it says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and, dis and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So when he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was, who was that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? 
Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did our sons in his livestock, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst again. The water that I will give, the water that I will give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty and have to come here and draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one that you are with now is not your husband. What you have said is true. And then skip down to verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed in him because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of you that we believe, for we have heard from ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thanks for the opportunity to come here tonight, as much as awkward as it feels for some of us, as comfortable as it feels for some of us, uh, and to look at your word. I pray that now as we do open it, that you would be with us, that your spirit would be in and among us. Uh, And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so the first thing I said I want to look at tonight is this idea of the grace of God, the grace of God, the grace of Jesus. And so uh, let's just recap the story and walk through it and see what it says. Okay, so here's Jesus. He's traveling around Galilee on his, uh, in his earthly ministry, and he, he's traveling north, right? He's been in southern Israel, what's now modern-day Palestine or modern-day Israel, and he's traveling north, right, to an area where he grew up in Galilee. And to get where he was trying to go, he had to pass through an area called Samaria. He had to pass through an area called Samaria. Now, to get this, you need to know a little bit of the historical context. Samaria is a geographical region in Israel, and it's populated by the Samaritans, these people who live in this area. And uh, they have a long history of why they're there and who they are. But long story short, um, they are basically mixed race or ethnically mixed Israelites. So like 700 years before what we just read about happened, um, that part of Israel was invaded by what was then the Assyrian Empire. And they were displaced by the Assyrian Empire and replaced with other different people groups from around the Syrian Empire. And so um, basically what you get is kind of this blending in or mixing of ethnicities of part Israelites, part non-Israelites. And as would make sense, you know, as people start to mix, they, they blend culturally, right? That makes sense to us. They blend religiously, they blend ethnically, they blend uh, culturally. And uh, the result was the Samaritans, right? That was, that was who this group was. And so they're half Jewish, half not. Uh, they blended the ethnic Jewish religion, Judaism, with these other uh, religions. And so here we have them, these half-Jewish, half-followers of the God of the Bible, half-not, right? And uh, so, of course, you can imagine that whenever you've got someone who's different living next to you, they don't get along. The ethnic Jews and these Samaritans, they hated each other. They absolutely hated each other. Uh, the native Jews were furious and proud, and they resented the Samaritans, and they said, they're racially impure, they're theologically deficient, they're not like us, they're bad. And the Samaritans looked at the Jews and said, they're a bunch of proud, stuck-up purists, and we hate them. 
Both sides hated each other. In the Jews' eyes, the Samaritans were theologically wrong, and uh, they, were, they were blended their theology with pagan theology, and they were mixed race. And so uh, it was that way for hundreds of years, bad blood between the two, literally bad blood, uh, which sounds like remarkably similar today, right? <laughs> Where there's different ethnic and religious groups who hate each other, so some things never change, right? So... Um, it got to the point where, it, look at verse 9, where it says, the Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. They have no dealings, no economic dealings, no political dealings. They hated each other. And it got to the point where it was so bad that if a Jew had to get from southern Israel to northern Israel, they would take the long way around just because they didn't want to pass through Samaria. They would take the roundabout just because they're like, we hate this group so much, we're going to go around them so we don't even have to pass through their land. So they hated them. And, and, and so now, of course, uh, this is where it starts to get interesting, right? Because look back at our story. Look, very, uh, look at the very beginning. Verse 4, And he, that is Jesus, had to pass through Samaria. So here he is. Jesus is like, we're going to go right through it. This people, that, this people group that has traditionally been hated. So that's a scandal of its own that he wants to go through there. But then look where, look where it goes, okay? So they're, they're on their journey, and they stop at a well. And uh, Jesus sends his disciples to get food in the city, and he waits at the well, which was very common back then. They did this all the time. A teacher would send his people to go and support him, and he would stay back and think. So it's not like Jesus is being domineering. And it says here, look what uh, John notes here. He says it was the sixth hour, and that's important because the way the Israelites calculated time back then was that the day started at 6 a.m. That was the first hour. So the sixth hour puts it at 12 noon, right? 12 noon. We are all from the desert. This is in the desert. What's the temperature like at 12 noon here? Freaking hot, man. I hate the heat. It's hot. So all of us, we know what it's like to be hot. It's hot at noon. You do not want to be out. And so here they are. Jesus is sitting at a well. And uh, this woman kind of walks, walks up, right? And uh, we get a, you know, to, to get water. And John is very detailed in how he describes her, right? Look at, he says, she's a woman and she's a Samaritan. And later we learn that she's actually sexually immoral. And so John is starting to build for us a contrast between Jesus, the Son of God, and the Samaritan woman, right? He's building about as strong a contrast as you can imagine. In fact, he's basically putting before us He's saying basically every single social and cultural barrier that can exist exists between these two. And there's more going on than this. She's getting water at noon, and so obviously it's hot. Now, when would it make sense to normally get water? In the morning or in the evening at the cool of the day? So why is she going at noon? That doesn't make any sense at all, right? Well, it's because she's ashamed. She's ashamed, and we're going to get to this later, but we learn later in the text that this woman has a sexual history and that people probably know about it. So not only do we see that there's a racial divide between Jesus and this woman, there's a theological divide, there's also a moral divide between this woman. And finally, there's a gender divide, a man and a woman, which was a big deal back then. So hit the slide, Joe. So you can see here, basically, if there's a way that these two can be different, it's there. Jesus has no business talking to this woman. This woman has no business interacting with Jesus. It can't get any different. Every barrier that would have prevented conversation 
is there. They shouldn't have talked to each other. So it's in this electric atmosphere of like awkward that Jesus enters into conversation with her, right? And what does he say? What does he say? He says, give me a drink. So suddenly in all of that, Jesus punches through all of those cultural barriers and he admits his weakness. He says, I need you. I need you. I'm thirsty. You have, in effect, he says, you have power over me. You could give me water or you could not. I need a drink, please. He submits himself to her and in effect, he's saying, I need your help. Now, of course, this surprises the woman, right? Look in verse 9. She says, how is it that you, a Jew, asked for a drink from me, a Samaritan? He's like, you shouldn't be talking to me. We have nothing in common. Let me get my water and move on with my life. (laughs) And you move on with yours. Why are you asking me for a drink? And it's interesting because the next words that, hey, I'll come on in. Um, The next words that he says, he says, it's so interesting. Jesus takes it from beyond just a physical drink and he takes it down a level, right? He takes it to a deeper level. He says, if you understand who you are talking to, if you don't focus on our differences that you perceive, but you actually understand who you're talking to, you would ask me for a, a, a drink and I would give you a drink of what? Living water, living water. And it's interesting because look what he says here. He says, where is it? He says, the gift of God. If you could see the gift of God. And that's interesting there because that's what grace is. When, we, when I say the grace of Jesus, the gift of God is the grace of God. What is, what is grace? Grace is a free gift that none of us could possibly earn that God just gives that to us. He just says, here, take it. Here's my favor. Just, get, just take it. And he says, if you understood the gift of God, that is, my, that is the grace of God, then you would ask him for water. And, then, and this is interesting because Jesus is saying something about himself. He's saying, I'm the gift of God. I'm the gift of God. And I'm the living water that you need more desperately than I need physical water. He's saying, I need water, but on a deeper spiritual level, you need water more badly than I do. And I can give you that spiritual water that will fill your soul so that you're never thirsty again. He's saying, I am the gift of God, the grace you need, the spiritual refreshment that you really need. Yeah, you think that you need physical water, but deep down inside, what you need is you need someone or something that will love you and accept you regardless of who you are which gets important when we talk about who this woman is later. Look at verse 13 and 14. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give becomes becomes in him a spring of water welling to eternal life. So he's saying there's, there's a deeper thirst going on here that you need more than you need physical water. And the woman picks up on it. She says, Sir, give me this water. Sir, give me this water. So here we have Jesus. He meets her exactly where she is. Exactly where she is. That's grace. That's Jesus in his perfect, incredible love and acceptance. Despite how different, how incredibly, amazingly different they are. That he should have no reason to talk to this woman. He says, I am going to, I want to give you myself. 
And when you drink of, my, of me, when you trust and believe in who I am, you're never thirsty again. It touches, it satiates a need that you didn't even know you had deep down inside. Okay, so we see here that Jesus accepts her for exactly where she is. But he also doesn't leave her there. Look at verse 16 and 19. Jesus said to her, go and call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying you have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. And it's interesting because right here we learn a little bit more about this woman, right? We learn that this woman is sexually active, right? We learn that she is sexually immoral, that she has had five husbands and that the person that she's currently living with is not her husband. And so this at least is a violation of Jewish law. Uh, and it's, uh, it's something that, that, you know, Samaritan or Jew would have said, like, ooh, that is not ideal. That is not a good way. But even still, like, think about it by our own standards today. If you meet someone who's like, yeah, I've had five sexual partners, and the one I'm with is not really my legal husband either. Like, that's something that even makes Tinder go, like, ooh. You know, like, even today, we kind of like, that's maybe not super healthy. <laughs> even by today's standard. And so we start to see why she's getting water when no one else is around, that she's ashamed, right? She goes to a well when no one else is around. She'll brave the heat of the day because when she gets water, then no one will be around to look at her sideways or to kind of whisper, who's she with today? Or the sideways glances. She's ashamed. She's ashamed. She knows she's a loose woman. She's ashamed when others see her. And here's the thing that blows my mind. Jesus knew that about her. It's not like she tells him this and then says, woo, living water's off. Jesus knew this about her before he offered her living water. Isn't that amazing? That he loves this woman knowing her sin. He knew it before he offered his grace, and yet he still did it. And this is sharply applicable to us today. Because if this is true, then this means that Jesus knows your deepest, most secret shames, the things that you hide from others, the things that you maybe even hide from yourself. Even sharper, Jesus knows your sexual shame. Jesus knows the brokenness in your sexuality, the sin in your sexuality, deeper than maybe you even know it yourself. And even that, that Jesus loves you. He accepts you exactly, precisely where you are in the midst of possibly great sexual shame. And he loves you. He still offers you the gift of God himself, living water, which will satisfy all of your desires, all of your longings, all of your needs, like nothing else in the universe, like no other partner can, knowing how broken you are in the midst of that. That is love, y'all, to know someone at their worst and to still say, I love you, I care for you, I want to give you the very thing that you are desperately searching for. That's love. That's what Jesus does. But here's the rub. We have to be honest first with, our, first with ourselves. We have to be honest. Then with Jesus and then with each other. I, I think we often think that hiding is how we'll heal. Well, if I just don't tell anyone about this, then maybe I'll just get better. 
If I just, just kind of shove it down and don't think about it, or just treat it just with myself, then maybe it'll just go away. Yeah, well, that is not how, how people heal. We'd never heal in isolation. The Samaritan woman thought that. She thought, if I just get water at noon, I'll be fine. As long as no one sees me, as long as I'm hiding from people, it'll be fine. But Jesus shows us that only when our sin is exposed, when our shame is exposed, can we start to heal it. I remember this really strongly when I was, uh, when I was in grad school. I'm a big cyclist, so uh, I like to go on long, long bike rides. And one day, I was on a long bike ride in St. Louis. St. Louis was super hot. It's like hot here, but humid too. It's the worst. Um, and sorry, Joe. No, you're Kansas City. Never mind. Um, so, it's, uh, so anyways, out on this bike ride, and it's hot and humid. I'm sweating hard, and I'd sweat so much, and I kind of ran out of water. Um, didn't plan it very well. So I'm dying of thirst. I'm super, super thirsty on my ride. And, uh, you know, I'm just kind of like, you're fine. Just keep riding. You'll get home. It'll be okay. But, I, you know, like as I ride farther, I just get thirstier and thirstier as I'm sweating harder and harder. And I'm like, I get to the point where I'm like, I'm not okay. Like, I need some water stat. And I'm kind of in this suburb area. And I knew that, like, I need water. I need, but I was super embarrassed to, like, knock on someone's door and be like, hi, I need water. Because <laughs> I was like, they're going to think, like, what kind of cyclist is this dude who doesn't bring? So I was, like, super, super embarrassed. Like, ashamed to say, like, I'm an athlete and I don't have water. <laughs> And so, but it, it's just, I finally got to this desperate point that I was like, that house will work. So I just went up and I knocked on their door and I was like, hey, can I just fill my water? It's your thing. And of course they were like, yeah, come on in. Here's some lemonade and da 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 da. And they were super kind and welcoming. But here's the thing <clears throat> the only way I was going to get water was by admitting that I needed water. <laughs> the only way I was going to start healing is by admitting I'm not okay. I am not in a good place right now. I am dying of thirst. And telling someone, humbling myself enough to say, like, I'm, I need help. Please help me. And the same is true here. The only way that healing happens is when we expose our hurt and our sin and allow Jesus and others to help us. Counselors will tell you this all the time with your emotional life. You're not going to heal from emotional scars and trauma by suppressing it. It just grows and gets worse. The same is true of our spiritual lives. The same is true of our sexuality, our sexual brokenness. So here's the thing. Jesus never leaves us in our sin and shame. He doesn't just say like, ha, gotcha, you're a sinner. Hope that works out for you. No, he says, I love you. I accept you for where you are in your sin. Believe in me. Receive the living water. And that's where healing starts. That's where healing starts when she says, I'm not okay. I need help. So look at verse 39. What's the proof of that? If we skip down, it says, Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And then look, it says what she says. He told me everything I ever did. Now that should blow our minds because here comes a woman who is hiding in daylight, hiding herself, trying to make sure no one sees her even though she's suffering in the sun. Here she goes from total shame to going in front of all her friends and saying, Look, he told me everything that I've ever done. She goes from shame to confidence. That is incredible. That's what unaccept that, that is what incredible accepting love will do to you. 
You go from a place of shame to boasting in your weakness because you say, look what awesome God has begun to heal me. That's what Jesus does, y'all. That's why he accepts us for who we are, but does not leave us there. This woman goes from shame to telling all her friends, Jesus knows all about me, all about my sin, and he loves me, and I'm growing and I'm changing in it. Come, get water yourself. Get that. And that's how it works. Christians are not some sort of extra holy spiritual people. Christians are spiritually parched beggars who have found water, and they come and say, drink with us. We're as desperate as you are. This is why I say you can't have a true encounter with Jesus and not be changed. Why? Because Jesus is God. He has the power to deal with your guilt and your shame. That a true encounter with Jesus takes us out of our shame and hiding and brings us into community and fellowship. First with Jesus, then with each other, and then with the world. Look at the very last verse. How this woman, going from shame to confidence, goes to where a whole bunch, a whole city, a whole village believes that Jesus is the Savior of the world. So that prompts the questions, what sins are you hiding from yourself? What sins are you hiding from others and from Jesus? Look, here's the deal. He knows them anyways. He knows them anyways, and he loves you in the midst of that, and he desires to heal those. He desires to be the living water that satisfies all of who you are. He desires to bring healing and growth to you. That's the grace of Jesus, that he meets us where we are, but doesn't leave us there because he loves us. That's the first point. It's by far the longest. The grace of Jesus. Second point, the model of Jesus. Look, if we're Christians, that we are this spiritually thirsty group that have found water, if we are these sexually immoral people who have found healing, if we are the recipients of Jesus' grace, of God's gifts, then we can't not be givers of that grace. We can't not be givers of that grace, no matter who the other is. If Jesus can reach out to a woman who is completely different from her, that by all normal social means he should have had no contact with, how can we not reach across a classroom to someone who's a lot more like us than we realize? How can we not? How can we not go to someone who is dying of thirst and say, I found some water. Come drink with me. Even when they're different. And so this prompts the question, who is the Samaritan in your world? Who are the people that you have no dealings with because they're too different? Is it someone whose politics are different from you? Is it someone whose skin color is different from you? Someone who has religious beliefs that are different from you? Someone whose sexuality is different or wears different clothes? a different moral lifestyle. We all have the Samaritans in our world who we just think, nope, can't talk to them. I can't talk to them. Jesus' grace should change that because first, here's this God who comes close to us, who loves us. And if he can love us that way, we can go and love others that way. Jesus' example, he's our model. He shows us that just as he loves us with that love that accepts us for where we are but does not leave us there, that we as a community can accept our friends and our campus, even as different as they are, 
and not leave them there. Wow. So what do we see in this? First, we see Jesus' grace towards sinners. That Jesus moves towards this person as different as he is and loves her. His incredible love and that his love powers through and punches through great shame. And that he can do the same thing for you and he can do the same thing for me. And second, we see that Jesus is a model. That in reaching and loving and caring for us, that we can reach and love and care for someone completely unlike us. And that we're called to do the same. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thank you for your grace. Jesus, thank you for your grace. That you are a God who reaches towards us even when we don't want you, even when we hide in shame and despair and sin. That you come toward us and offer us living water. Help us to receive it. Help us to trust and believe that you are a God who loves us through the work of Jesus. And help us to be people who extend that same love towards those in our spheres, in our world. We're thankful for you, Lord, and we pray that you would change us just as you did this woman. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.